Well, Greg, uh, we're to the issue where it all goes boom. All goes boom? Well, you know, it was a nice story. I mean, we saw some things uh, ramping up in the story, but this is where it starts to get serious. Serious? Oh, man. uh, Serious story? Well, because it was so light before, right? I mean, so far, I mean, we've seen things like, you know, discrimination. Uh, We've, you know, seen a little bit about, you know, anti-Italian sentiment during World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw some Marilyn Monroe. Uh, We've seen all about, you know, blacklisted writers uh, oh, yeah. McCarthy hearings, uh, you know, all super light topics, right? Lighthearted. Yeah, very, very lighthearted. <laughs> and all through the lens of our protagonist, uh, Snagglepuss. Yeah, I mean, and when you when you have Snagglepuss delivering everything, it, it, it comes across just, you know, fun. And of course, we have our hidden in the background uh, antagonist, uh, Boy, boy, I'm useful to you. This is why you're the writer and I'm not. They're called what type of characters? Amalgam, is that correct? Uh, it. Well, she's it's an amalgam, an amalgam, right? Of, of she, several she, different characters in history. Yeah. Yes, she's she's an amalgam of several different characters in history, but she's also a. Um, now, see, this is where you've you've thrown a word at me, and you asked me a question, and now I can't think of the the correct word and terminology in which we would use. Um, for when you when you reskin someone as someone else, uh, curses. Oh heavens to Murgatroyd! Oh heavens to Murgatroyd! Yes, but uh, it'll be fine because we'll figure it out. And I'm sure you're gonna remember the word halfway through the podcast. They don't come right to you right in the middle of talking about something else. And I'll shout it out. <laughs> well, we have once again um, the art on this book is amazing. It is. Um, and we've got two covers, uh, one with two playing cards Mm -hmm. and very, very, uh, it's like, is it now it's, uh, (laughs) now I don't have words. It it looks mosaic. mosaic. It looks like mosaic tile, right? The, or the window. Yeah. 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 It, it looks just stunning, beautiful. Like the kind of playing cards I'd find, uh, in my, and my great grandfather's deck of playing cards that he would have carried around with him on the ship or something like that, you know. Really, really important. cool, really cool period yeah. piece. And then you flip to the second cover too, also beautiful. It's uh, well, we 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 did. I got an ad for Justice League No Justice, which yeah. uh, I did read. I did not. Oh, that's my that's my assessment of it. I read Do it. it. Oh, okay. You read it. I did not. So yeah, there was no justice. Snyder, for me. So I read it <laughs> and was underwhelmed as always. always. So now we'll move into, you know, I say that I'm so mean. Scott Snyder is like one of the nice people I ever met at Comic-Con. But yet you're so mean. Your words are cut like a knife. I just didn't like the story. Okay. I, so understandable. It happens. I don't like all of your stories, I guess. I, it's true. You don't. So it happens. <laughs> I can like the person and author, but not like everything they do. That's right. Um, and then we got Snagglepuss here on the second cover. Really, really cool. Uh, smoking a cigarette with the bombs going off in the background. The smoke is kind of a, it creates a skull shape toward the top. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's dark and ominous. 
It is. It, uh, and of course, the the ridiculous looking nuclear bombs do remind me, we've mentioned it once, but kind of remind me of Dr. Strangelove at the end too. Very much so. I do like his jacket. That that print is really, really cool. That is outstanding print. I could totally see Michael Buffer wearing that at UFC uh, right now. Or it's Bruce Buffer, <laughs> right? Sorry, I messed it up. That's Michael all right. Buffer did wrestling and boxing in the 90s, right? Bruce Buffer does mm-hmm. UFC, right? But yeah. yeah. It's uh, pretty cool. So I could see it. Yeah, I guess I could see Michael Buffer wearing it too. So they would have a matching matching jacket set. They would be Buffer. <laughs> they, they would be so buff. I'd be yeah. It's a, was that like a comic book title in the nineties? The Buffs. The Buffs. And they had like they were really strong. Like their muscles like were unnaturally big, and they had like pockets. Oh my goodness! And, and jackets. To cover that, up their buffness. It'd be so cool. And they'd have a car that was like too big. The buffer car. The buffer car. And it would drive over like four lanes instead of one. And it would be XXX stream. Oh, extreme. It'd be some yeah. amazing 90s comics. This comic, however, is not a 90s comic. And we open a page to the scariest looking family ever. Yes. Uh, they all smile and grin. And look into the distance. I love how like, and I know these were real things. These like towns they set up and nuked were real things in life. Yeah. Um, But but these, the the art here is awesome. This is horrifying. Oh, very. Doomtown, population zero. It's like either Doomtown or it's like an Osmond family reunion. Oh, could be. Could be. And I can see that friendly there. He looks mm-hmm. a lot different than the officers we'll see later in the issue. Oh, definitely. And of course, now we get our, our friend here down at the bottom and she is ready to go. Mm-hmm. Finger and in the air. As we get the background of the town that's about to be nuked that has nobody living in it. Yep. Finger in the air. Pantsuit. Mm hmm. We're ready. I just that's interesting. I wonder, is she wearing a pantsuit or can we see the bottom? I can't. We can't see the bottom. She's wearing a skirt. Okay. Next page. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say it seems weird for a period piece that she'd be wearing a pantsuit. You know, I mean, pantsuits, they're they're comfortable and they're and and they're they're sensible. Right. But it wasn't very 1953. No, probably not. I don't think if you look at the school children in the next page too, most of the the women in there are not oh, wearing yeah. suits. Yeah, no, they're they're wearing you know um, skirts and dresses and stuff. And so she's giving a speech in Nevada, of course, as they're getting ready for a nuclear test, and she is uh, talking to a class, and uh, she's talking about eating an apple, and you eat a great apple, and there's a worm inside. Oh, the worst. And it's her job to stop it, to protect the apple from the agitators and the communists. And she gets oh. a question, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so in the analogy, who are the communists? <laughs> well, <laughs> and she says, I don't know, apple teas or something. And I, I, I love the opening two pages because the art and the contrast of the words and the fact that, I mean, in, in front of the kids, she doesn't even try to pretend like she is doing anything rational or real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just, I'm here, I'm doing this thing. 
Yeah, in an educational setting, when she gets challenged on her belief system, she doesn't even bother to answer. She doesn't even pretend like it's real. It's just it's just my words. It's just what it is. I'm going to tell you what it is, and that's what you're going to believe, because I told you. <laughs> and now we get her in a, a Nevada national security site, and she's looking at nuclear weapons. She must have a hell of, seri- you know, hell, hell of a security clearance. Oh, yeah. I mean, she gets a see and do all these things and go to these places they're talking about different size bombs talking about you know testing a 15 megaton blast and this this looks fun mm-hmm. um, i always love you know history pieces that talk about when we you know put a bunch of weapons all over the world to destroy it oh yeah because you know it's a good thing no it's not <laughs> Well, and, and now they're talking about something we like or did like, I guess, game theory. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and so he says, sometimes in games, game theory being stupid gives you a real edge. I found that with some debaters. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Definitely true. Uh, and they talk about knowing the truth and the scientist says, oh, no, in a democracy, the truth is the last thing you want people to have. But why? <laughs> well, because they might vote the right way. Oh, OK. They might see through the lies. Lies, lies. Sweet and we get a nice little story here about a barber and a mathematician. And he's. Ultimately says, oh, like everything else in life, set theory is a fatality contaminated irrational with irrationality and a paradox. <sighs> paradox. It's kind of a it's interesting, though, like they're talking about a paradox in the story. It's interesting how they're sort of setting up to you. I and mean, a lot of businesses run on this now, this notion that, you know, if you if you sit in stone too much, you're not really uh, thinking forward or continuously improving. Right. True. Like this, I heard the term like virtuous cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of different uses of virtuous cycle, but this sort of idea of of cycling people toward a uh, cycling people toward uh, thinking forward, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what's going on here. Um, he tells a story about the mathematician that has a nervous breakdown, and then the most ridiculous thing happens. What's that? Indiana Jones comes flying out of a nuclear explosion in a refrigerator. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, that I mean, if if the refrigerator was lead lined. Oh, like they were back then. Maybe it's possible. Mm hmm. I mean, if I saw it in a movie, it's got to be true. Right. It was a great movie. Not. No. You know, it's OK. In all honesty, the the uh, the funniest thing about that is. So my grandfather when he was going and having his, he, my grandfather who had Alzheimer's, um, we were watching the Indiana, Indiana Jones movies because he liked them when, when I was a kid. So we were watching them when he was in his Alzheimer's phases and stages and stuff like that. And uh, in a lucid moment, he just looked at me in the middle of that movie and he's like, turn it off. This one sucks. <laughs> 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 and it was the best. I was like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, I don't want to waste my time. If I can, if I know what's going on, I don't want to waste my time. Let's go find something different. <laughs> Let's go get a steak. I love it. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, 
That's the best story I've ever heard about that movie. <laughs> so we probably turned it off. <laughs> and got a steak, hopefully. Yes. And a schooner of beer because the keg was still open. Well, there you go. Well, it's interesting here. Uh, this little scientist character segue, it's interesting. We find out a little bit about him. He was a kid. He realized that he needed to be useful in some way. And so he made himself into a nuclear scientist. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then they sit and uh, watch the blast. So after hurting all the children I, into a into a like a tin shed. <laughs> well, that was it. That was that was a flashback, though. Remember, right? That's him growing up. And so then oh, we okay. get him as a grown up sitting on this bench um, watching a nuclear explosion. OK. It's an interesting way to start a comic. Yeah. And definitely fits the time. And it's an, it's interesting too. like they show. I think I think it's important here. I mean, I've kind of been joking about it, but how uh, Russell writes into the uh, uh, narrative, right? How interconnected Gigi Allen is to the actual government and its processes and the most deadly piece, right? Like to me, and I don't know how you feel about the character, but these couple pages, I mean, we've seen her character develop over the first three books, but I think he does a lot to develop her character just in two pages, just to see, you know, associating her with destruction. Right. And the yeah. fact that that's what she wants to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and she probably couldn't get there herself without uh, another means. Right. Right. I mean, maybe I'm reading too into it or too much into it, but I feel like, you know, the, a lot of those first two pages were just to show that she wants to be what she can't be. Like she wants to be the nuclear bomb. Like she wants to be that notice that powerful. And she, she kind wants... of gets off by being close to that. I could see that or like having that much power doing whatever she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting assessment into places. Mm hmm. So she is Doomtown. Yeah. Welcome to Doomtown. <laughs> Sorry. Well, there I, we go. <laughs> I love where these podcasts go. So hey, if you don't love it and I don't love it, then they won't love it. <laughs> Do they love it? So I don't know. Let us know. Yeah. Tell us in the tweets. <laughs> That's at funnybook 4 n Zix on Twitter. And Funny Book Forensics on Facebook. And I believe it's at Funny Book 4 and 6 on Instagram. There you go. Let us know. So now that that needless plug is out of the way, uh, we flipped the page and we've got the new plays in rehearsal because we know it's the new play because it's two actors dressed up as Huckleberry Hound and Snagglepuss. <gasps> oh my. Who would have thunk it? Writing from what you know. Yep. And it's kind of looking at their uh, childhood. Yeah. Stuck in a tree. And Snagglepuss is wanting to leave to New York City. And I guess our teenage years. And Huck won't go with him. Nope. He's going to stay. I don't know. So I, I think we both had this, you know, we we both grew up in a town that didn't have a lot going on for it at the time. Mm -hmm. And of course you knew I wanted to leave as soon as humanly possible. 
Yep. Uh, you left too. I did. We both came back. Ish. Yeah, not to the same town, mind you, but to the came area. back adjacent to the area. The area had a lot to offer in other places. It's also familiarity, but you know. It is too. I think though it's interesting because it's almost like uh, what you're seeing play out in the book uh, came to us as people uh, mm-hmm. because this area got a lot more progressive over time. And by the time I came back uh, and I saw other parts of the world too, I would even say that, you know, this area, um, even conservatives here, maybe not in the last four years, mind you, but are almost Conservatives here, in a lot of respects, especially in Western Washington, would almost be considered moderates in the rest of the country. Mm, probably. You know, a lot of other areas. And it's just it's kind of a progressive area. But there's also just a lot going on with the technology and thought processes and things to push people forward. Definitely. I guess you said that. Lots to offer. <laughs> Lots to offer. I mean, there's it's it's. There's lots, there's lots of various things that are available to people in different shapes and, and ways, but also um, it's kind of like a buffet, you know? So there's uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So if you don't like what's over on, on table one, you can go to table two. And that's what the, the area and the region has to offer. So, I mean, you can, you can up and move from any of these areas and you're not too far from... Uh, I'd say the metropolitan area of Seattle or Portland, but you're you're within spitting distance, if you will, and you can maneuver around and and go see all the different things that this area has to offer. Yeah, and so we get a page turn. It's 1937. It's it's really interesting, just how small the world was then, or mm-hmm. at least the oh. perception. But yeah. they're talking and, you know, in this case, Snagglepuss is the one to choose to leave, right? Yeah. And he basically tells Hawk, hey, you're making the biggest mistake of your life um, by not going and says, hey, you know, I'll miss you. You've been a true friend. Come to New York anytime and find me, right? This whole notion that you could find somebody in New York is almost ridiculous. But if you're in a small town, too, in Mississippi, maybe... Yeah. Uh, that notion you could just walk across town and find somebody is real, right? Always. Or maybe it's because Huckleberry Hound is a hound dog and he can sniff them out. <laughs> That's fair. Huh? Huh? That's what I'm thinking. Follow them cat tracks. So now we get to Snagglepuss and his, his wife in quotes. Mm-hmm. And they're having a conversation across the table and she lets him know that she never knew him and Huckleberry grew up together. And she's asking him, you know, that she knows the marriage, you know, isn't real, so to speak. Um, but she just wants to be part of his life. Yeah. And he's now for the first time realizing the difficulty in balancing right? This facade that he's created mm-hmm. out for the world and how that's impacting other people. Yeah. This is a, these scenes go very quickly in, in issue four too, right? Oh yeah. It's just, dun, 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 dun. just goes. 
but I guess it makes sense because we kind of had a slow build building up to it. Yeah, it picks up pretty quick because then we get to the next page and now we have a familiar looking horse. It would be quick draw. And looking like <laughs> hanging out in bed. Yeah. And he's going mentioning he's coming from a long line of police horses. And he's said that's all he's ever had, all he ever knew until now. And, uh, well, Huckleberry's being quite the dog. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to the next page and Huckleberry discloses he never thought he'd be in love again. And because he's so afraid and he says, I know we just met. I don't want to scare you, but I can't hide the love I feel and don't want to hide it. And quick draw says, leave those games to fools who imagine time will wait for them. You and me will live. And so, but as soon as he walks out into the hallway, you know, they're saying thank you for your help officer. And of course, you know, acting like nothing ever happened. Mm hmm. Back to the facade. Yep. And now we get to another fight as Snugglepuss's life continues to break down. Mm -hmm. Continuing, continuing, continuing. Yeah. I thought he was back off to Cuba. Um, or did he just say he was going to Cuba? I thought so. And this is how bad of a host I am because I'm totally blanking on the character name. Maybe he leaves soon. Well, I mean, he threatened to go to Cuba last issue, so. Yeah. I think I think this is I think this might be. This might be the issue. OK, well, we're bad. We're bad at this, people. We are so sorry. Well, it's just, I mean, we've read it through, but I think also, I mean, it was very clear in three. That's why yeah. I'm a little bit confused here, but I think the sequencing, the sequencing is you're seeing the breakdown of, of a life here. Yeah. And then we get back to wonderful Gigi Allen in a very big government looking building. Mm hmm. A very big one. And, if, and then we see even more discrimination. So here we go. Man sitting behind a desk talking to Gigi Allen. Wow, a woman working at the State Department. Your husband must be so proud. Must be. <laughs> and here's where we get the insinuation of her sexuality, though it's not ever, I don't know if it's explicitly called out, but she says, never married. I actually, I live with a roommate. Yeah. Uh, you could say I'm married to my country. And then she, he says, like a nun with subpoena power, and she quickly changed the subject, not wanting to talk about that part of her life, but focused on her mission, right? Which is her, her life's work to root mm -hmm. out the communists, right? That is her goal. And she's asking for a raid on Stonewall. And she lays down a picture of men kissing and dancing and... He says he has no idea. 
what happened there. And she says a slur for gay people, a minor slur. And uh, tells him to go raid Stonewall. And she wants them to get Snagglepuss, of course. Because he would agree with her. She's got a that's that's her, she's got her eyes on that prize. She needs a big name. So on the next page, New York's finest get together, and uh, there's uh, they're told that they're going to go raid Stonewall for violating public decency laws, or anybody seen violating. And Quick Draw asks why they're going there. And he says he doesn't want to do it because it's on his own beat. So he lies to the officer, not really giving the real reason why to his commander, of course, but quick draw would be who we were referring to. And he basically gets told either keep your job or do the raid. Those are your options. And so now we're off to the really fun parts of the book. And, uh, Snagglepuss thinks he's figured out a way to keep it all together. So Lila and Pablo meet for the first time and they all have dinner together. Mm -hmm. And Snagglepuss starts to open up about his life uh, to the people he loves, uh, both paternally and sexually, which, okay, cool. There you go. He's trying to be, he's trying to be as an open book to the people in his lives that he can be, even though he can't be outwardly. And he has a fabulous jacket. Yes. Yes, he does. But things keep moving fast and we catch the page and there's Huck at Stonewall. And here come the barking dogs and bears. Yeah. Literal barking dogs. And uh, they come in and they start raiding the place. And uh, the owner or the bartender says, officer, there must be a mistake. And he gets beaten with a billy club for his efforts. And there's an officer sitting in there at the bar. Uh, and of course, when he's found there, he's told to go check in the back, like nothing's wrong. So he can get out of the situation and then they go arresting a whole bunch of people. Great. And so then quick draw sees Huckleberry sitting there at the bar and he says, hello again, officer. And he gets a look from the officer heading to the back who knows that he goes there often and he starts beating the shit out of Huckleberry Hound. Big turn. Including uh, the slur for gay people. Yeah. And uh, so he gets arrested for absolutely no reason. He gets thrown in the paddy wagon. They take everybody from the bar and they get told there's pie and coffee back at the station and quick draw stays behind, sits down and has a mental breakdown for beating the shit out of his lover. How you doing over there, Greg? It's just, it's, it's just a tough, I mean, like this is this like, (laughs) Welcome to Doomtown definitely is a great title for this book because this book is definitely nothing. It does it, it does nothing less than deliver a lot of doom. Yeah, it it 
I mean, so far it's, it's interesting because you, you start with the Doomtown piece and then of course you get, uh, yeah, you get this. It just builds up to, I mean, like you said, you know, one, one person's life, he's trying to hold it together because it's falling apart and another person's life literally just fell apart. When I think, it, you know, you're building on this, the inherent systemic, the nature of systemic, uh, uh, discrimination, right? Because mm-hmm. if the system stacked against you, like there's, there's not a lot you can do sometimes in your life, uh, to, to raise your way out of that. If you want to live as your true self. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I kind of have this battle for me, it's like this battle of victimhood versus or being a victim versus not being a victim. Right. And a lot of my advocacy you know, in life and when I was teaching and things like that is to help people rise away from victimhood. Right. But then mm-hmm. and, you know, in some cases, people would still not be able to do that. And it would frustrate me uh, to I no end, you know, when some, the system is just stacked against people. You know, sometimes people just can't see a, a path away from it. They, they just, they, even if there is a path, they just can't see it. And in because, this case, Huck takes the path out of it. Right. And yeah. still is a victim. Yeah. And the person that was guiding him out victimizes him. (laughs) Right. And so then we flip the page. And of course, as I suspected when I read the comments from Gigi, she goes back to see her roommate. And this is where the character does fit with Roy Cohn again. We mentioned Roy Cohn before the out, basically out homosexual man who helped McCarthy. Right. And helped McCarthy round up communists and discriminated against and, you know, led the lavender uh, scare, right. In addition to the red scare to round up gay men. And here you have, here you have Gigi with her roommate, <laughs> clearly intimate uh, yeah. while at the same time persecuting gay men. Yeah. It's the do as I say, not as I do. Razor. It's, it's interesting too because she has this barrier where it's almost like, well, my professional life and my personal life are are secret, and if my personal life sees, you know, is behind these doors, uh, then it's okay. Like I can do it here, and it's fine. But these guys did it in public, and they're ruining me, so I'm going to ruin them. Yeah, I mean, what kind of? I, I was going to say, what kind of person is like that? But yet here she is. <laughs> One, it's a messed up thought process, right? Like, um, and it, it's not like it's, you know, it's not like it's a abnormal thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. personally, I fought as hard as I could not to be gay, right? Mm-hmm. And so I get it. Um, I get it from that standpoint. Uh, but I don't think... I don't know. It's hard. I it, It's hard for me to think about, like, I chose not to keep working in government for people that felt this way. Personally, yeah. I made that decision, went back to academics. I didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, but I've certainly met people who continued down this path and did this. I'm just yeah. not sure, you know, where that even comes from, right? self-hatred i don't know <laughs> yeah yes right I, well, I mean it's a, you can't change who you are and if you and if if you can't accept who you are then it's 
it's definitely a, a, a situation that you're, you're going to be battling that, you know, they're, they're going to be continually battling internally. And if you, I mean, it's the typical bully situation, right? You, you have somebody that hates something about themselves and they see it in somebody else. So then they pick on that person because what they dislike about themselves is so visible somewhere else that they, they point that out and they continue to hammer it down and and try to draw the attention onto that and that's what she is she's just a bully i think the other interesting part here too is that um i don't know if she's named later i don't remember but her roommate roommate in quotes isn't even named in the story uh like she's just a she's just a prop for her when she's at home Wow. Well, on that note, we flipped the page and we've got Snagglepuss back at rehearsal. And he has a phone call. And they call him out of rehearsal. He's not super happy. And he gets Huck on the phone and he heads down to the police station to pick him up. And uh, Snagglepuss picks him up, and the nice, kind police officer says goodnight, princess, to him. And he gets home, and he finds out he's on the front cover of the New York Barker. I'm assuming analogous for the New York Post, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there he is, novelist nabbed in Den of Deviance. Those writers back then were really clever with their headlines. They were. I mean, you know, they're still clever, if you will, with their headlines. But would that would that work as a click clickbait headline? Oh, definitely. Probably. Wouldn't it have to be like find out why Huckleberry Hound is a deviant? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you click through 13 pages until you get to the actual like why. And then you find out he's just a human that loves humans. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there's like 13, there, there's also like 12 ads that just keep popping up between all that for various things. But yes, he's a human who loves humans. Or, so, yeah. Huck looks at the page and says, a man can no more hide his nature than outrun his shadows. And then we turn the page and we've got Doomtown, except everything is exploded. It is. And Huck says, Huck's narrating over the background of the nuclear blasted family that's melting <laughs> little pieces of time. And he says, the truth is they will always find us SP. Whatever we do, wherever we hide, they'll find us. We're fools if we think otherwise. Our only choice is the life in life is to change the world or be destroyed by it. And God help me, SP. I'm not sure which one I prefer. Oh man, over the imagery and everything else, it's a uh This is this is where the the read just gets tougher and tougher. It's where you get chills, right? Like I have yeah. chills right now reading the story. It's yeah. so put together. So let's, I don't want to lighten it, but 
I just, you know, this is where I get to utilize you as your writer and your skill set. So when you have a heavy topic like this, I mean, I don't know, uh, Russell's choice was to, to lead us into this, right? So three issues set up the story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is the climax of the story, so to speak, but it's definitely near the end of the rising action, right? And, you know, he almost puts it in, in acts, but mm-hmm. since Snagglepuss is the actual you know, protagonist, right? Like not quite the climax of the story, but we're, we're nearing it. Um, when you're building something up like this, uh, what type of approach do you take? Do you take the approach that Russell did where you build it up a little bit and then kind of hit heavy or, you know, do you prefer to hit heavy right away? And I, obviously I know there's different types of storytelling, but I guess I would say with the caveat, you're taking on a subject matter that is, is difficult like this one. I think it's dependent on the story itself um, because you're, you're going to want to build up to the pinch. And I think that's where we're at right now. This is, this is where, this is the beginning of the pinch and uh, you know, where the right before the climax, there's a, uh, you know, like if you will, a bar raiser, a stake, a stake mover. Um, and this is, this is definitely one of those moments where things are coming uh, they're coming at you pretty quick. And like you said, the, the story just moved. The pacing of this book was very different than the last three. And it, uh, it brought you from the beginning of this book to this point in such a fast momentum because it needed to, to line up the rest of the story, um, that we're gonna, that, that unfolds. And I think if, if you started off, with something like this, um, it's you're it, if you're trying to grab an audience and you start off with something like this, then hopefully you're going to be able to keep the momentum and deliver deliver the the ending and that and that climax uh, it, at a higher <laughs> at a higher velocity or or in, in a way that keeps them, uh, moving. Right. And I think in a fast paced story that, that can work. I think for a story like this, that, that builds up and you need to unpack and unfold things as you go along and get, uh, the, the narrative of who these characters are, why they're doing the things they're doing or where they've been and understand that a little bit more. Uh, I think that this type of pacing and this type of uh, buildup is, is is perfect and and makes you want to read. After you pick up book one, you jump into book two, you jump in. It makes you hungry for those books because as these were coming out, I'm sure people were waiting for the next one to to, to be able to be released. Uh, we're lucky enough to you know be able to get get them and read them in in succession quickly. And, and just, you know, read through them at our own pace as fast as we want or take the time. But I think that uh, a story like this needs that kind of, this type of build. Uh, Like I said, with other stories, you can definitely drop something like this and, and, and run with it, but it's, it's a fast paced action story. And this is not a fast paced action story. This is a story that has a lot of, um, there's tenderness that has to be understood 
for the payoff that the rest of the story holds. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, because there's so much history involved in it, you have to understand all those things as well. So there's a lot of different things that you have to be able to read, understand, and the the writing the the writer and the art team need to explain either in their words or in their visuals for you as the reader. And I think they couldn't do that in such a fast paced delivery. Yeah, I thought it, you know, it was interesting where I pointed out like Gigi's uh, lover was it, her name's not even mentioned, right? The story mm-hmm. and combining this with your point, right? They set up all the history and the time period. And then when I read this story, it was so fast, but I knew who the characters were. And so I understood as things were moving because every the scene had been set, right? Like there was a yeah. clear scene setting. And I thought it was interesting too. So I actually did read this originally month to month when it was coming out. I collect enough comics that I can't read all of my comics month to month, but this is one <laughs> I was definitely reading. Yeah. Um, and so I was waiting for it to come out each month. Uh, the other piece here is interesting. I kept forgetting Pablo's name. I've even forgotten Pablo's name while we've been doing the podcast. Yeah. And I thought the the contrast there was interesting, too, because Pablo was almost a side right to the story. Like he was that guy that Snagglepuss saw when he was out right away. And when he brought Pablo to the family to meet Lila, I was like, then I remembered. Then I remembered his name. Yeah. And it's interesting how he pulls his family together. And then I start to remember the character names in contrast with Gigi's lack, right, of a home mm-hmm. life lack of a family, lack of a center, right? Yeah. That, that she can go back to. Well, I think, I think with her, her roommate and the lack of a name, it just, it, that goes with the fact that she keeps everything private that you could see it as she keeps everything private. So the name is going to be private and you're not going to know the name or she looks at things as they are for her. And, for her, this is a whole entire life that she doesn't acknowledge anywhere else except for in the home. So she's not going to acknowledge it anywhere else. And you're not going to know about it. And and trust me, you can get in a real practice of shutting down those type conversations. Like I cannot tell you how many conversations I've shut down when somebody in the past and even now to an extent like asks me like whether it's at work depending on how well i know the person or it's a get together like well you know are you bringing somebody with you or are you married or um i have a roommate who's my business partner who's also male and straight and so i have people assuming that that roommate of mine is gay right uh-huh. that's also awkward so then you're dressing down those conversations it's like people yeah. want to know uh, about you, which is nice, but then, you know, all of these assumptions are made. Right. And so it gets very difficult. So I could see also why she wouldn't want to explain that. Right. Because she wouldn't want to dive into the assumption conversation, right. Or assumptions about her, Mm -hmm. um, even battling that comment that was like, well, your husband must be proud. Right. Yeah. Like just the general assumption that if you are a woman of a certain age, you've got to be married. There's no way you could have a career on your own. Right, right. I, I think this was the era of the confirmed bachelor. Yeah. Moniker, as I had a, a few um, cousins and uncles were confirmed bachelors for life. And that's just, <laughs> you know, that's how they were always referred to. 
as I was growing up. And that's yeah. that that's the the era in which they grew up in. And, you know, as as a kid, that's you know, they were always referred to that as that. And I and as as a an adult now and coming to terms with the um I guess it's just so interesting how there was a just the way that society looked at things, obviously, you know, just and and families and or people just that's what they will just put we'll, we'll put this on there because it's too it's they didn't want you know they themselves didn't want to get into it and it, or they were so ashamed of gay people that they didn't even want to say that somebody mm-hmm. was gay yeah like such a dark thing in their family it hurt there and it it's selfish right because it hurts their image yeah for some reason and not even acknowledging the fact that that their their brother son whoever has a whole entire life that they're never going to be part of or they're never going to accept well and it also too the societal notions right like and i think the story plays this out where snagglepuss has to make very selfish choices to exclude one part of his life from another even though he has an amazing uh, paternal relationship with his wife, right? Yeah. Like they love each other, but they're not like sexually attracted to each other. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, um, yeah, they're, they have, they're a family unit, but in a, in a different, different type of way. And he doesn't think to allow her into his life, right. To see his, and, and once he does, it's like a weight comes off of him, but the, at least for now, but the, you know, the fact that he even they had an I mean, it's clear they had an agreement. She acknowledges that. Right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a secret, but in their relationship, but he wouldn't, you know, allow that other part of that life to, quote unquote, taint her. Right. Taint her existence. Right. Well, this one moved fast and it was deep. Uh, again, we highly recommend you read this uh mini six issue mini series. We just finished up episode four of the Snagglepost Chronicles. Greg, do you want to have any, add anything here at the end? Uh, just, you should read it. I mean, you should really read it. And I think, you know, understanding too, I think one of the things about reading a well-written piece like this is you start to, you can dig in and we've been talking about digging into the feelings and thoughts of people on both sides of an issue. And here in this story, there's clearly one right, right? There's clearly one right side, but we also get in-depth characters with multiple facets mm-hmm. uh, that we can see. And so you can start to understand how people think and feel and why they act in a certain way and how they react in a certain way. So, you know, hopefully too, in reading a great story, uh, you can start to understand how the people interact and, and think around you. And, you know, while you can certainly judge somebody's actions, um, maybe a little bit more of judging the action and less of judging the person, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And on that preachy note, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and sign out of this episode. So we just covered, of course, Snagglepost Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepost Chronicles, issue four. And thank you for joining us on Funny Book Forensics. <laughs>